Who are your enemies and your rivals? And how often do you actually interact with these people face to face? You know, oftentimes we have in our minds our idea of who the people are that really frustrate us. But I want us to spend some time today thinking about how we actually treat people and who are the people that we actually interact with. You know, when we look at the people that we love, how do we treat them? There's a phenomenon that happens and one that's tearing apart our nation where we respond to the frustrations of the world around us by placing the dislike we have of people that we've never met on the people that are actually near us in our lives. And this is a very, very interesting thing. You might refer to this as the Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> dilemma where we find this arena for, for chaos. You know, that's not how God wants us to interact, and that's not what God desires for us. And if we want revival in America and to avoid total collapse by way of a culture war, then we must return to Christ-like love. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and this is Kingdom of the Lagos. And there are a few others here with me today in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And today we're going to be talking about how we can love our neighbors and how we can focus on what matters most because that is so important to rising above the chaos that's going on in our world. And if we want revival in our nation, we're going to have to start really embodying that Christ-like love, knowing how to love our enemies, our neighbors, our friends, our family, and to move people towards the beautiful and aspirational light of the gospel. So a big portion of our conversation today is going to be on this problem, which we're, we can refer to it as sort of the Thanksgiving dinner dilemma, the Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> crisis, where people, they spend the rare moments that they might have, one of the few times they see certain people in a year, and instead of them spending that time doing something that is meaningful, they spend it bickering about people that they have either never met or have very little to do with personally. So that's going to be our main conversation. We're going to be looking at the screw tape letters of C.S. Lewis. And we're also going to be talking about um, some tips and tools for how to navigate social media and just our interactions with others. That'll be our B segment. And then we'll have a little fun game of buy, sell, or hold at the end of our program. So are y'all ready to jump into this conversation of how do we navigate love with our, our neighbors and jump into the screw tape letters? Yes. Absolutely. We're ready for that? All right. So without any further hesitation. Okay. So. We look at our world right now, and it's obvious that we give in to temptations. We give in to desires, things which are, are really not right. And C.S. Lewis, he wrote about this really brilliantly through a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a series of letters which come from demons in hell <laughs> writing to one another about how they might better tempt people. It comes from Uncle Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. Now, what we find is in this a excerpt that talks about war and how people are tempted in war and they do something which we find going on in our society today. You know, our society, our nation, it's becoming increasingly demoralized and we need revival and that comes from God. And one of the big ways that our nation is being consumed is by forces of evil, which cause us to confuse, you know, how we actually interact with one another. We take our bad will, which, you know, we, that's a whole conversation to have on that, Christians and bad will, but we take bad will for people we haven't met and we place that on people that we actually interact with. So who are your enemies and who are your rivals? I want us to think about this. Think about the people that frustrate us. Think about the ideas that you oppose. How often do you actually interact with people that have these ideas and these things which we oppose? You know, if you actually interact with them, you know, what actually is said when you interact with these things? Are these more or less the conversations we imagine happening in the shower? Are these the real conversations which happen on occasion? You know, what are our actual interactions like with people whom we consider our enemies and those whom we oppose? You know, and then I want us to flip the script a little bit and talk about the people we love. 
Um, because a lot of times our communications in the modern day and age, they're reduced down to the online spats where we have these jagged forms of communication over things that perhaps nobody in that conversation is actually interacting with in their personal life. It's, it's fascinating. But when we think about the people that we love, do we interact with people in our family, our friends, and our neighbors? Do we act with them a lot, a few times a year? Do we treat them with Christ-like love? Do we communicate love for one another in those rare moments that we have with them? How do we actually deal with the world around us? So we're going to jump now into the screw tape letters, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from this, and then we're going to open up the conversation here to have a discussion on this. So Uncle Screwtape, who is a tempter, he is a demon in hell, he writes to his nephew Worm when he says, As much as the general attitude towards war, you must not rely too much on those feelings of hatred which the humans are so fond of in discussing in their Christian and anti-Christian periodicals. Anguish um, that a person can have, of course, can be encouraged to revenge himself by vindictive feelings directed towards the German leaders. And you know, that is as good as far as it goes. But it usually turns into a melodramatic or mythical hatred which is directed against imaginary scapegoats. He's never met these people in real life. They are lay figures modeled on what he gets from the newspapers. Now, the results of such fanciful hatred are oftentimes most disappointing in getting people to come towards hell. And of all the humans, there are those that are the English in this respect that are deplorable milksops. They are creatures that they will say that torture is too good for their enemies, and yet they will give tea and cigarettes to the first wounded German pilot who turns up on their back door. So what you are to do, my dear Wormwood, my nephew who is another tempter down here in hell, what you must do is you must realize that people are going to have some benevolence, some goodwill, and people are going to have some malice, some hatred. And that's going to be in people's soul. Now, the great thing that you must do is direct the malice towards his most immediate neighbors, the ones whom he meets with every day, and thrust his benevolence, his goodwill, out to the most remote circumference, to people he does not know. Now, from this, the malice becomes wholly real, and the benevolence becomes largely imaginary. You must keep shoving all of the virtues outward till they are finally located in the circle of fantasy, and that all the desirable qualities are inward, deep in the will. And the real goal that Uncle Screwtape has is to prevent the formation of virtues. And he outright says that. He says, you know, our goal is to prevent the formation of virtues, and you've got to get there first and have people thinking they're being virtuous when they're really not. So I just want us to talk about this. Um, this is a phenomenon that doesn't just happen in war, but it happens everywhere. We mm -hmm. get frustrated with things that are far off, and we take our visions of that frustration, and we copy them and paste them on people that are actually in our lives who may have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about Thanksgiving dinner being ruined. You know, you see these people maybe once or twice a year, other family gatherings, and people decide that they're going to be bickering about stuff which is you know far over there as opposed to actually dealing with what matters most so enough of me talking on this i'm <laughs> going to throw this to um whoever would like to go first what are your thoughts on this this whole excerpt here right out of the screw tape letters i think this is a really great job of um you know in, in talking about church and kind of the lifestyle of the saints we've often talked about uh maybe more in the past but people kind of living a double life they live one way monday through saturday and another way in church um, but I wonder really if that's more of a symptom of something that this is trying to get more at the heart at of, you know, there's this distance between 
how we act and how we want to feel. And this idea that we know in the deepest hearts of hearts that we need to be benevolent, we need to be charitable, but to actually do that in our daily lives is quite a different thing. And so it is easier to kind of push it out to, as Screwtape writes, um, or as C.S. Lewis writes as Screwtape, um, out into almost this imaginary feel, this mythical, metaphorical almost. And so by putting it way out there, we can still get that warm, fuzzy feeling we've done something right, but without any kind of um, real commitment to it. And um, and I think also what's interesting is, yeah, um, I would imagine C.S. Lewis is writing this in the midst of World War II, um, and there were definitely some very horrific things that were going around, going on around the world in people um, knew about only kind of in the very periphery of, of their of the information that was coming in. And yet, so there still needed to be a response to those dangers, but there was this dis- disconnect. And then how do we uh, take care of these issues when it comes to our next door neighbor? Um, and I don't know, this is just me using, I guess, a little bit of pop psychology, but I wonder if we do this because like you're specifically also talking about Thanksgiving dinner. It's easier to get angry about the imagine, not even imaginary, but the, uh, it's, it's, it's easier to fight and argue about the presidential debate um, about uh, the latest scandal in Hollywood than it is actually to look at somebody you supposedly love and talk about yourselves and you like and not in like a selfish way, but like to be real and honest with one another. Yeah. And so it's a displaced hatred because that displaced hatred is easier to deal with because then I'm yeah. angry about you because you disagree with politics. Not I'm angry at you because we actually have a broken relationship. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot going on here. And I think C.S. Lewis has very clever, cleverly uh, gotten to a heart of the matter that I think often in church conversations we're kind of just discussing around it versus really at it. Yeah. And just to kind of I know you, you kind of hinted at the word imaginary. This is something which C.S. Lewis talks about. He says, of course, there's there's real people over there. There's a whole nother letter in this book where he, he's trying to get with his nephew to cause division between this man and his mother. And he says, you don't want him to actually deal with the real mother, but kind of the imaginary version of that. Mm. Like, don't, of course, there's a real mother there. There's the sharp-tongued um, lady at the breakfast table. But don't have him focus on her. You don't want to have any real love directed at her. You want him to think about, you know, the faces that she makes and kind of exaggerate, massage all of the things which kind of grates his soul and let him think about that and let him be praying for that. And at the end of the day, he'll be praying for someone who is more imaginary than is actually the real mother. And this happens a lot of times. Mm. And you kind of hit it at that. Um, but also you were kind of talking about how we don't want to address the broken relationships. These things can break relationships too. Like there's oh, there's yes, a lot definitely. of of push and pull here. And I'm not here to say what rules are on that because it's it's ruleless. It's the, the amorality of the nihilistic void that just is co- collapse in chaos. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on this? You know, James writes that in uh, in his letter, uh, if you want to call it a letter or an exhortation or whatever, uh, but, you know, he said basically what he's saying in a lot of that, that sometimes our own worst enemy is ourself. And, of course, there are, you know, the devil and the demon that's working on us, but James has an, uh, a section in there about controlling the tongue. And we trust our loved ones, the people that we're closest to, 
to have these conversations and to express ourselves in a way that often hurt them. And so there's somewhat of reversal here for the malice, for the, the anger to be placed on those that are closer, that you have relationships with, and to put um, you know benevolence at a distance where it's so shallow that it has really that not much of a meaningful impact on the person. And so this is a very clever, um, you know, way to, to make people think they are, they are doing good, uh, being benevolent in a way that, that's so shallow. And we see this happening today. It's, even though it was relevant at, at C.S. Lewis's time, it's relevant now. But then again, we constantly find ourselves um, at a place where we're hurting those who are very close to us, even those in the church, or even not just our neighbors, but our own family. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think we all have to be aware of this. And, and I, you know, the, the beauty of these uh, letters and, and C.S. Lewis's writing is for us to realize the enemy is not the flesh and blood, but there there is someone trying to break our relationships and bring division and chaos. And and we have culpability in this. Yeah. And, and that's one of the whole purposes that is within this whole screw tape letters. Like the, the demons, they can tempt. But people, they make their choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and he even, like, he, he explicitly goes there. He says, you know, if the enemy, who is God, if he allowed us to do this, which he wouldn't, you know, it would it would remove all guilt from our patients, who are the people they're tempting. He says, you know, we kind of have to push them just to the element where they're, they're self-aware, they have some moral awareness that they know they're consciously doing things, but they're not so morally aware that they, they see good and evil clearly and they start mm-hmm. working for God. But just where they have some moral clarity... Um, that they realize, yeah, I consciously want to do this, but they're not yet to the point of maturity where they realize what is good and evil, and they just they do what's evil, and they end up down here in hell with us. And that's, that's kind of like their whole goal. Um, but it's a really fascinating text, and I think this is fair to say that this is a big problem we have. And if we want revival in our nation, we've kind of got to, to get back to caring about what matters most and what is the, really the important thing. If you have your Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, it's not quite Thanksgiving yet. We're still in um, October, um, or just now in October. I almost said September. Um, I do know what day it is. We're in October now. But we look at the the world around us and focusing on what matters, spending time with the people we love, looking there within our own households, our own neighborhoods, our church communities, the people we work with, the people we see regularly at the stores, caring about those people and trying to approach a place where you are actually loving the real person that's there and not just our imagined version of that Mm. because we get so distracted from the the superficial characteristics and this is really what christ-like love is where you do love your enemies and your neighbors and you love your your friends your families and you realize there are times we're going to have conflict with one another um scripture tells us quite clearly there's going to be conflict um jesus has conflict with a lot of people um and he's willing to go to bat against some bad ideas but he still loves people, and the only way you can really walk that straight and narrow pathway is if you're looking at people for what they really are and making those distinctions and looking for what is real. Um, so I'll let you all kind of respond to that, and then we'll move on to our next segment. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. If we realize how to love people as people and not just like you're saying as kind of the fictional uh, perception that we've put on them, um, then we're going to find... If we do that with the people close to us, whether it's people we get along with or not, but if we do that with people close with us, who are close to us, we can find it then easier 
to love the people in the peripherals or to yeah. love the people who are, you know, for, for whatever reason, further out of our social interactions or, or our, our uh, spheres of influences. And so it, it's really not, in a sense, either or about picking, you know, our neighbors over our enemies or the people close to us versus the people far from us, but it's seeing people as they truly are. Yeah. And, and by doing that, that can shift our vision. And, and it does seem, again, I think it's just, there, there's a reason that this tactic that C.S. Lewis writes about um, is so clever and also, also so timely in the sense that it, it, it can be used across all times. I mean, we're, we're almost 100 years separated yeah. uh, from C.S. Lewis's writing. And it's prevalent in our society and so we have to be able to look at these things and see it and and i just um i've read this book like years and years ago um and just re-reading just that excerpt that you've brought up and we've talked about other excerpts um i think c.s lewis had a really good pulse on people and again knowing that it's not always the most obvious things that's going to trip us up it's the things like like honestly we should have good discussions about politics it's good to have discussions even about fun things like movies or celebrities but it's when we put those things on top of people to say you're only a democrat you're only a republican you're only my enemy you're only my friend and we define them Uh, we prescribe to them a whole uh identity that really isn't theirs yeah and in in actuality probably only makes up a very small part of the yeah. actualized comprehensive person that they are yeah but you get to a point where you're like i care more about your and this is literally something he says in the book you know i care more about your political affiliation than your rheumatism mm. or you know what what you actually had going on you had a fight in your household last night and now you're trying to sort through that you know that actually matters to people and it's like those sort of things get totally ignored for things which, like you said, they, they make up such a smaller position. You know, it's 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 a place where there's no moderation, no weighing of things out. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, I think the one definition of Christ-like love is seeking uh, the best for the other person without any benefit to yourself. And anytime, you know, you, you, these conversations and different ideas, different things happen, if we focus on trying to prove ourselves, and, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that's what the— uh, screw tape is saying, you know, is uh, focus on on self and getting uh, it, not focus on seeking the best for the other. And I think that goes right in line with what you were trying to say, Dylan, as, as well, and Pastor Amanda. But you know, I think there's an an idea where the the we all can often slip down that um, pathway of trying to express ourselves and getting our way and the focus is on us rather than the other person remember that jesus went to a cross no benefit to himself for others that is christ-like love and we are to to uh, imitate that absolutely Mm -hmm. and when you look to the holy scriptures in the epistle of third john verse 11 it says beloved do not imitate what is evil but imitate what is good Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seen God. Amen. Now, it's interesting how this is phrased because it, it says that you can do evil without seeing God, and you may not even know. That's kind of indicated what is there. Um, if you are doing good, then you're doing something which is from God, meaning you have some communication with God. There's been some pathway opened up. A portent has connected you with God. And one of the things which Screwtape writes about, he says, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian, your job is to get in there first. Make sure you're the one teaching him his habits and theology mm-hmm. and things of that nature because 
you can get people to believe they're doing good, but they're actually imitating evil. And you don't let them have any real self-reflection. Don't let them have any time looking at what they're actually doing and making true comparisons of their expectations of God and who God is. But, you know, keep them from seeing God. That way you can have them committing wild evils, but they will believe sincerely that they're doing good. And that, that's a, a big problem that we have there. But the scripture is warned it's against that. So just kind of our, our parting thoughts on this segment is make sure that we are imitating what is good and what is of God. Amen. Um, so with that being said, we'll be back here in a moment to talk about how we interact and some rules for interaction that we're going to reset. So we'll be back here in a moment. Alrighty, and as we're coming back together, the question I have for us now is what really matters to you? Think about the people that you love. Just spend some time thinking about that. And think about those whom you interact with daily. You know, modern society has trained us that if we want revival in a nation, if you want to change the trajectory of a, a nation, there's something that just happens from the top down. This isn't the biblical model. You know, our modern society has trained us to focus on figures we have never met, to always care more about the big picture. And I say that with quotes there, <laughs> the quote, big picture, end quote, more than our actual lives. And, you know, this is something which is a paper elephant. And, you know, we talk about paper tigers, things that aren't really a threat. Well, this is a paper elephant because <laughs> it's not really the big deal in life. You know, God has long been telling us that what matters most and what will give you the most meaning starts in your home and those around you personally. And here's the big secret in Scripture, too, that we often overlook. That's actually how you bring revival and restoration to a nation, looking at the people around you, loving them, taking those Christ-like virtues in their fullness and living them out. And remembering that these aren't things that we just get to pick and choose that we like, but they are great things which have come down to us that we are our stewards of and we are to, to be ministers preaching the, the light of the gospel. And we do this regardless of, of our own feelings on the matter. We are to be stewards of something that is higher. You know, God, he has long been telling us that these are what matters most, and these are where you will find meaning. It starts in your home and those around you personally. This is how you actually go about changing the world, and this is where we find true love. This is where we find God working in our lives. And for this segment, I want us to spend some time. We're going to go back and reset a proposition that I gave a few years ago regarding four times when you should ignore posts online. So this is when you're on Facebook or whatever social media site it is, when you see people saying something, this is a time where you can say it's okay to just ignore it, don't engage it. I want to reset these four pointers, these four rules of times to ignore stuff, um, to avoid unnecessary conflict because it's largely a meaningless conflict and never goes anywhere but chaos. <laughs> and I also want to point out, it's become increasingly popular for people to have taken this impulsive and sensational behavior, which we do online, and allow that to bleed over into real life. You know, this is not healthy, of course, but also it tears down our nation, it tears down our world, it leads to sin and chaos, and this is not how we are designed to interact. God designed us where there are so many more ways of communication than just what's immediately said in the words and what we see online, you know, the tones, the body language, and a lot of that has been taken away and people are losing those skills of reading such things. So I'm going to reset these four. And I'm going to let Amanda and Mike 
I'm going to let our pastors here respond to them and see what they think about this list and should we add something else to it. So the first reason why we should ignore something is, well, um, the page has changed on me over here to pull up the title card, but I'll just read them. That's okay. Um, I had a a graphic where we could pull them up, but that's all right. The studio software got a little out of whack. Um, The first pointer is, is the topic something that a person said? So that's point number one. In other words, is is something been brought up in a post that said, oh, did you hear that so-and-so said Uh this or so-and-so said that? And it looks at only the words that come out of someone's mouth as opposed to their actions and fruits. Um, So that's number one. Number two, is the topic a person's appearance where, you know, so-and-so looked like this? Did you see what they did? Did you see what they were wearing out there? Did you see the look on their face during all of that? Um, So the topic just being a person's appearance. Um, The third issue is, is the topic at hand an emotional release? So it's not something which is concerning with the truth, but somebody just wants to throw something out there to say, oh, this happened, I've weighed in on it, Um, I'm mad about this, you know, this is how I feel. Um, And even news stories do this, like something happens and they just want to throw something out there, um, regardless of what the truth is. Denzel Washington talked about this this week. He said, you know, we live in the day and age of too much information where if you read the news and watch the news, you're... Or if you don't read the news or watch the news, you're uninformed. But if you do watch it and consume it, you're misinformed. And people are like, well, what are you doing? He says, well, nobody cares about truth. We're in the age of too much information where people just want to have a release. They want to throw something out there rather than actually telling the truth. You know, if you see a post or something that's just an emotional release, not concerned with truth, you know, it's okay to just move, move past. And the last one on here, and this one is a little bit more complicated, is the question of, is someone branding you or someone else with a motive? You know, people demand their own words be read by the book in an academic interpretation. Um, You came in and asked when dinner was ready. Um, But then when they look at their rivals, the other people, they want to scrutinize them and, and read their words with the harshest and most terrible possible motive. And they have this extreme scrutiny they put on other people, but not themselves. You know, of course, I was innocent when I said what I did, but you know. Um, so that's the fourth one. Are, are they branding you or someone else with a motive in there that, yeah, that's basically what it is. So um, what are y'all's thoughts on these four? Should we add to this? Is this a good <laughs> list, a bad list? Is this applicable online only, or does this bled over into real life? What do we think about this list when we put this together a couple of years ago? Pastor Mike? You know, I think, first of all, we have to realize that uh, social media is a is a platform for people to express themselves, and you need to treat it like that. But, yes, you, there's a lot that needs to be overlooked. And I, I, the quote you were talking about with Denzel Washington, I think it, it very much applies to this platform that, and even going back to James and what he was talking about, you can't control the tongue and, and the words, uh, you know, we can tame every animal that God has created, every creature, but we can't tame tame our own tongues. That also applies to the keyboard. (laughs) And so uh, when we type these words or people type them, you know, we do. We need to be able to realize that there is a a day and age where people are releasing all these emotions and things. And I I think we have to realize also that if if we're not careful, we can be drawn into a, a place where screw tape or whoever we want to say does that wants us to be where it is really a a, a place of broken relationship. Uh, but we need to realize that we are on a platform. 
uh, speaking to lots of people. You never know who's who's reading that or how many. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the thing, though, yeah, I think these can be definitely helpful online, um, and they can be helpful in real-life interactions. It's a little bit more difficult, I think, in real-life interactions. <laughs> uh, online, you're, you know, at home or wherever, at work or maybe in the car, not while you're driving, but if you're the passenger and you're scrolling through your phone, um, you know, and you see something that's inappropriate or even something maybe most people would say is appropriate, but it's something you disagree with, you don't have to engage. There's nothing forcing you to engage with that. You can just scroll on, roll on, move on, whatever. And it it, it can provide actually more peace for yourself and even peace for that person. Because maybe the person who posted it, if that is kind of that third one that is this emotional release, they maybe posted it without thinking about it really too much and then they may regret after posting it. And by ignoring it, you, you might be actually helping them, you know, move through that emotional release and then just not dwell in it. But when you're face to face, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, I've kind of jokingly, but also seriously told some friends and family when they've talked about difficult situations like Thanksgiving or Christmas or just meeting certain people. Um, I have coined what I've been calling uh, the T-Rex model of conflict resolution. Uh, You know, think of Jurassic Park and like the T-Rex is looking for the kids and they have to stand really, really still or it will see them. Uh, That sometimes that's the best way to do it. And it freaks people out. And again, this is not the best conflict re- resolution model for all things. So wait a second. Are you are you saying just like freeze? freeze? Literally, physically freeze. And I have done this a couple of times with certain situations that I won't go into because I don't want to call anyone out. But where they'll say something that I know is more coming from a place of emotion than it is like part of a rational, uh, comprehensive conversation. And I just stop. Uh, I don't say anything to it. I don't respond to it. I don't move. I just sit there. And eventually the awkward silence will get long enough where they'll move on to a different topic. Again, that's not the best model for everything, but sometimes the best thing to do is nothing because people are looking for a fight. And like we talked about in our section A, people are not fighting you. They're fighting this projection of you. They're fighting a projection of the chaos of the world. They're they're angry at themselves, which honestly I think is a big portion of it. People are so broken and hurt in their own pain that, and they don't want to deal with their pain. So it's easier to yell at you because you disagree with whatever than it is to actually look at themselves and be like, oh, I'm an angry person because I'm hurt. And again, that might be a little pop psychology, but just in my interactions with certain people, I really feel like that's where it's coming from. And so if I engage on that superficial level and say, all right, let's argue about fill in blank here, I'm not helping them and I'm definitely not helping myself or the other people in the conversation. And so the best thing to go, and I've done this too, um, where I said, okay, this conversation's done. If you need to have kind of the last word, you can say whatever your last word is. But after that, I'm done with this conversation. Let's go and play a board game. Let's go you know, walk or whatever we're doing, because I'm thinking like, you know, family or extended family situations. Let's move on to this next topic where we can have fun as a family together. But this is going to end here. And so doing these rules in person is a little bit trickier because you can't just like flip (laughs) the app over and move on. But I think the elements of these tips can really be helpful, especially in in in-person interactions to knowing I don't have to argue with you. There's nothing forcing me to argue with you. I may disagree with you, but I don't have to prove that. There's nothing beneficial at this point. Now, if we want to have a good conversation and debate, movies, politics, state of the world, 
let's do that. But let's also have a debate then about those things and not just as a cover uh, for dealing with some other stuff. So let's address the elephant in the room, the real elephant in the room, and not make up a paper one. And if we can't do that, if that's not healthy for our relationship, then let's move on to something else. Yeah, and that's so important. And you were kind of talking about how we, we get in these positions, and, and James writes about this in in chapter one, actually. He kind of talks about how people, they, they may not even know when they're emotionally having a release, and five minutes later, they may forget it. And you actually may be giving somebody grace by ignoring this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not. But, I mean, at worst, you're you're going to be not feeding into somebody's, you know, carnal desire for this sort of attention. But what we see, James, he talks about, you know, there are those who look in a mirror and then upon looking away, they, they forget what they look like. And, and, and that's kind of telling you people are not self-aware. They forget who they really are, what matters most. And, you know, in that same chapter, James talks about, you know, a double-minded uh, man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, when, when people have these these pushes and pulls inside of them and there's this sort of chaos and entropy, you know, if you feed into that, well, you feed into that and it just grows. It gets yeah. more and more vicious. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I, I think you guys are hitting on some uh, very key uh, statements and elements of, of everything that, that goes on uh, within our social a- actions with one another. I think, you know, the, the idea of um, what Amanda was talking about, the peace and being still, you know, I think it's a good statement to say we can agree to disagree. It seems like we've come to a place where uh, it, such division comes uh, when we go to arguing and, and things of that nature. I love how the idea, what you said with James, you know, in the, in the release, especially on a, on a media platform, somebody writes something they've, they've, they've trusted, that they're, they're, they're really crying out to trust someone to hear them and if they're not, maybe not, maybe they're not asking for a debate. Maybe they're just crying out. And by engaging that, maybe they they released it and got it out, and it's okay. But engaging that makes it even worse yeah. uh, and brings them back to it. But on the on the flip side of that, I think you know the the enemy wants to rob us of our time and valuable time well spent with our families. And I think that just echoes both what both mm-hmm. of you have said. Yeah, I mean, think about Screwtape, how happy he would be to find out that you have families who only get to get together a few times a year, mm-hmm. and they throw all of those rare occasions in their trash yeah. over, like, politics. Like, at, at, in, in Screwtape, um, one of his letters, he writes about how, you know, People always think that like the worst sins are are the ones that take you to hell. But he says, you know, cards are good as you know murder. If cards will do the trick, it really doesn't matter um, what it is that gets people there. Um, and if they they want to sin with a fantasy, like fine, fine with me. You know, food is food as long as they get in hell. But to see people throw away those rare good things they have for like nothing. No return on that at all. Just throw away stuff. And if we want revival in our nation, we've got to get back to looking at what actually matters to people. And you can't always have, you know, um, I'm going to abstain from commenting on the the debate that happened a few days ago. I took like several baths after. um, Anyways, no commentary. Um, But, but, you know, I was looking at the world and, you know, oftentimes you people wonder, well, why were these questions even asking debate? Like a lot, a lot of people were legitimately frustrated with the topics at hand because they're not actually what matter to people. And mm. if you want to know the truth, if you're going to have a, a national debate, it's actually going to be pretty hard to have questions that actually matter to people because what matters to people a lot of times is really practical stuff. Like when am I going to, you know, ask that engagement 
question? When am I going to ask that girl to marry me? When am I going to, you know, sort out the details in my new job? When am I going to figure out if I want to move towards that side of town or this side of town? You know, those are the things that actually matter to people. And those are actual things that we can talk with one another about, that we, we interact with and we navigate the world. You know, your neighbor who doesn't have a lot of people come visit them. You know, these are things which actually matter to people and actually make society a totally different place. When people get worried about, you know, what's going on here in our local school system? Let's go and get involved in the school board. These are things which make a difference. And you can't really do that from the national scale. But yet all of our energy, all of our time is being consumed with stuff that is out in the furthest most circumference and we're spending very little time looking across the street at the people whom we should know very well and love and yet they're largely foreign to us. And, you know, Christ always wants people to to be looking at what is true. One of the most phenomenal things about the New Testament is... Well, it, it's it's the fact that it is an exercise in critical thinking. You get all these different worldviews come together, mm-hmm. and at the, the climax of Jesus' interview with Pilate, Pilate says, what is truth? And I have always wondered, was Pilate being sincere? Was he not? Is he joking? You're like, what what is his <laughs> actual thoughts even in that question? But Jesus is very deliberate in telling people, I am the truth. Absolutely. You pursue truth. What is true matters. Not mm-hmm. just what you feel or what you desire or what you think is going on in the world, but what is true matters. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can really approach that is if you're actually looking for it. If you're imitating what is evil, if you're just focusing on pettiness, then you're never going to get there. So mm-hmm. um, final thoughts on on this segment before we move on to something a little bit more fun. Uh, just an extra tip, something that Pastor, what my Pastor Mike said that kind of reminded me of something. When you do see something on social media or even in person, and you're not sure if it's a cry for help or if it's just screaming into the void, uh, and you feel like you have to, if you, if you really truly feel like you need to say something, do it privately. If you can't in person, send a private message. Yeah. If you really feel like something uh, bad is going on, if this really is a cry for help or something, maybe abusive uh, behavior is happening, and again, not just physically abusive, but maybe emotionally or uh, verbally, then speak to that person privately. Do not engage that on a public field. Um, now, the Bible also tells us this. Go to the person privately. If that doesn't solve it, then grab yourself a, a good Christian friend, not to triangulate, not to cause chaos, but just someone who you can trust. And if that doesn't happen, then you can progress to other means of mediation. But always trying to handle these things uh, privately, not because we're trying to hide things under the rug, but because if the, if it's a legitimate cry for help, you need to address it. But if it's yep. just screaming into the void, then that yep. way you've not fed into it. Um, so I think that's just a good tip. Again, that might be easier to do uh, over social media because you have a means to privately message people in person. Don't be afraid to talk, you know, uh, if it's a family gathering or a gathering of colleagues or whatever, don't be like, hey, let's go talk in the hallway or hey, if you've got a minute after this meeting, let's go chat for a bit. Um, But I I think we've just got to, we're not saying ignore people. (laughs) Please don't take that away from this. Um, And I hope we've made that clear. I think we have. But the idea is we're going to set healthy boundaries to where when there's poor behavior, that poor behavior is not getting the limelight it so desires. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, Pastor Amanda. Um, And just, I I got the title cards for these points together. Let me just wrap up Mm -hmm. this segment by reading them. So number one, if the topic is something a person said, the superficial things, you you know, you don't have to engage that. it's just how it is. If the, the topic is a person's appearance, something superficial, you do not have to engage that. Do not feel guilty if you, you move on. Uh, if it's an emotional release, again, 
look for something which is is truer and more meaningful than just the emotional releases. And number four, are they branding you or really anyone else with an emo- with a motive? Are they trying to say and project what your thoughts and actions are and reading things with an absurd amount of scrutiny? So that that's what we have on all of that. So we will be back. We have one more segment we're going to do. So thank you for spending time with us. All right, and we are coming back. So we thank you for spending time with us here at Kingdom of the Logos. And if you would like to support our program, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. And we've talked a lot today about some skills that we can have within our interactions with other people, how to focus on what matters most, and that will help us bring revival to our nation. And now we're going to close out our program today for our final segment. We're going to move into the area of lighthearted. We're going to move into unholiness today. And Pastor Mike has put together a series of buy and sell or hold propositions, and I am not familiar with what they are. Um, so it'll be a hot take for me as well as for you. If you would like to send us your thoughts, questions, comments, please do so. But I'm going to hand things over to Pastor Mike. Okay, I've got a, a saying, a group of sayings here, and it's going to be buy, sell, or hold. So buy is, yes, it remains in the English language. It's okay <laughs> to say. Sell, no. Uh, we're going to ex. ex uh, excommunicate this out of our language uh, permanently. We don't want to hear these sayings ever again. And if you can't make up your mind, then hold is acceptable, and you only get one hold. All righty. And so I have just a few, and there are many out there, and you can probably come up with one uh, maybe that is uh, more um, of a sale than some of these. But the one that we hear a lot is the the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. (laughs) Pastor Amanda, is that one you will buy, sell, or hold? I think I'll buy it because it's 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 a uh, so vague enough. It's almost a hold within itself. So I'm gonna. I don't know. It's. I just find it funny. So I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> um, I'll buy it too. You know, I actually interpret it the other way. I think it's actually some precise wisdom. And uh, now it's circumstantial wisdom for sure. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely circumstantial ri- wisdom. Um, which I don't think it's trying to be like moral to relatives or anything like that. I think it's just trying to tell people have some situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then have discipline in your situational awareness and like get up to go do something or be patient and hold back. Um, so I kind of like that. We, we have a lot of people who are not situationally aware, um, um, which is not, you know, terribly pertinent to salvation, though it's a good thing. And, you know, <laughs> excellence is, is a, a product of, of holiness. So, yeah. All right, Pastor Mike. Well, uh, OK, the second one, we are all part of the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten die. <laughs> 10 out of 10 people will die. Oh, I was about to say not really, but then like, I guess, yes, everyone does. Well, no, there's two people in the Bible who didn't die. That's true. So even that statistic's a little wrong. Well, so. and Jesus has redefined death. Exactly. Oh, I was about to say Jesus didn't die, but Jesus did really die, but he's resurrected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to sell it because I don't even know really what it's trying to say. So I'll just sell. <laughs> yeah, I'm selling it too. We wow. we deserve better platitudes than this. It's gone. 
We may deserve it, but I'm not sure if we're smart enough to it's get it. It's been exercised <laughs> out of the English language. Right. It is gone. Banished. If at first you don't succeed, then don't try skydiving. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I just think don't try skydiving is also a great platitude, but um, I'll buy this one. Uh, I'm going to sell it. It's trying to be more clever than it is. So It is, and it's a play on words for if, if first you don't succeed to try, try again. You know, that's what it is, but it's a don't try skydiving. So. <laughs> All right. Everywhere is walking distance if you have time. <laughs> We're, um, oh, Forrest Gump. Just one day I started running. Yeah. Uh, I'll buy that, I guess. Well, no, not everything's in walking distance. How do you get over an ocean? You have time. Um, if you have time. If the if the um that little inlet between Alaska and, and Russia is still frozen over or whatever that was called. I'm gonna sell it still. I don't know. <laughs> I'll buy it because it has some aspirations that says work for something, have a goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously this requires you to have a goal. It requires you to, to make an investment to get there and have some discipline and stuff like that. So I like that. I'll I'll let that one slide. I'll buy that. <laughs> uh, grace is contagious. I can't put my finger on why I don't like that one, mm-hmm. but there's something I just don't like about it. I, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Okay. I have seen people be very hateful and spiteful towards grace. Yeah. And 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 on the fact of that, that there are people, you know, there's the story in Matthew where, um, in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, where Jesus, he comes to the, to the region of Gadarenes, and there's the two demoniacs. Jesus, he never asks the demoniacs what they want, but he casts the demons out. He says one word to him. He's like Clint Eastwood saying, out. Just out they go. But then the townspeople come over watching this miracle, watching this grace, and they beg Jesus to leave. <laughs> you know, where's the contagious grace there? In that situation, people were like, no, Jesus, please be gone. Get that grace out of here. Which, as weird as that sounds, people do. Mm-hmm. If you've lived long enough, you have seen that people will harden their hearts and they'll say no to it. So that's, that's what, what I, I think I would say God's grace is everywhere. There are no God forsaken places. But yeah, I don't think people's response to grace is always contagious. Are so. are are both of you selling? I'm selling, yeah. Yeah, selling. Uh, you know, I will buy because I think we are called to be a means of God's grace. Yeah, of course. And 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 you know, I do think that grace. Not everyone receives it, and not everyone catches it. But it is contagious, and being a means of grace is is I think it's a positive thing. I, I think that would though the difference is kind of uh, stealing a line from Doctor Hoskins, who he probably stole it from someone else. But talking about God's love is not God's love is not unconditional, but it is unfailing. Yeah, and that's where I think that that's the line I'll draw with contagious grace. You, you guys are harsh. You could have <laughs> at least held on it, but no, y'all are a complete sale. All right. Well, Are's, you have to keep in mind. <laughs> Our generation is filled with a lot of just brazen ugliness where people have no problem with their ugliness. I mean, people have always had this, but we they, there used to be standards. Like in the 70s, people wore bell bottoms. In the 80s, you can look at like the hairstyles and like the shoulder pads that the ladies wore. And then you get to the 90s and things are kind of look ugly. At least there was like the, the, the baggy pants of the 2000s. We're in the age of... People do whatever they want and brazenly just don't care. They'll come up and tell you whatever. Like, who knows what the social styles are actually like today? Either maybe I'm just of the age where I can't detect what young people like, or the truth of it is, is our society's actually got to a point where there just are no standards. These kids um, and, with their and clothes. No one, I can't believe I'm hearing you, you say this. 
this this is that is my line to say but but you know it's like there's a role reversal here it's it's like i don't know it's like i've become a teenager and you've become an older older gentleman um i get accused of that a lot actually that i'm act i have no fun oh that's sad let's move on let's move on (laughs) this one we've heard a lot red in the morning sailor's warning red before night sailor's delight what do you think i guess so i really don't know i'm not really great at the sailing thing so i'm just i'm gonna go sure bye i I, I think i've heard it with shepherds as well shepherds morning shepherds Uh, delight but i'm not sure someone actually was over at the church yesterday and they brought this one up to me and they Hmm. they had kind of brought in like the science behind this and like there's actually a lot of truth to this and the fact that there has been enough like disciplined effort into taking this rhyme and comparing that to the real world and you know studying it you know bye bye well isn't there something in um isn't it in John 3 or, or one other time when Jesus is talking? It's not this, obviously, because it's not Jesus didn't speak English. But there's a very similar line where he says, like, you know, by looking at the sky, how the seas are going to be. And yet you don't know where the spirit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so so like this is like 2000 years of or probably much, much longer than that. Um, but, yeah, this thing has in some form or fashion in various language uh, has been applicable for, you, you know, all of human life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that that comes. Jesus is being interviewed. Nameless, one of the the nameless many times, and they're they're coming at Jesus disingenuously. By the way, again, the gospel really is an interaction of of critical thinking where people come with questions that are lies. They're they're conjectures and they're trying to postulate themselves, and they come to Jesus. You know, like who's your authority? Who are you? You know, are you really this? Are you really that? Where's your stuff come from? And Jesus is, is looks at him and is like, What would you say about John? Where's his authority come from? And, you know, oh, you, you can read signs, but you look at the miracles, the fruits and actions that I've done, and you act like you don't know they're there. Like, come on. I mean, he even does this with John's disciples when they come asking for oh, some yeah. clarification. He's like, hey, look, tell the what fruits you are out there. Yeah, tell them what you've seen. Uh, Mike, I'll let you have the, the next one. All right. This one I used uh, actually Wednesday night. So uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I... I get this one, I do, but I'm going to sell it because um, without a doubt, we can be strong against what people say about us. We can stand against that. But I think in at least my experience, that's almost been used as a platitude to allow bullies to, to continue to bully. Be like, oh, those are just words, so ignore him. Like, no, maybe we should address the abuse. So I'm going to sell this, and I know this is just me speaking to me, uh, so make this a personal sell? I don't know. Well, now, now I've got to like weigh on this a couple of ways. I'm selling because I have no idea what this means and never have. Is it meant to be sarcastic or it's literal? It's from screw tape. It has to be a, a saying from screw tape. I've, I used it in the sense of this is this is a, a lie yeah. because words do hurt people. Well, my, my thing is this. I, I've never been able to figure out if it's meant to be taken literally or sarcastically. I don't know if it means that it's... I, I, just, I don't know what it means. But to the question of we have... You know, Amanda's talking about bullying. We've one of the big problems we have in our modern day and age is people don't know how to deal with uh, stress. They don't know how to deal mm. with um, social awkwardness and even social conflict. They have no idea how to. We have over sanitized things to a bit where people don't they they don't have the proper consequences for the actions. They haven't learned how to sort stuff out. So um, the the way we've addressed bullying has been an over sanitized. I mean, obviously, you can't let kids kill one another, but we have kind of over-sanitized that. We, we have a whole generation of people who don't know how to interact with one another. But as far as this platitude goes and this saying, I don't know what it means and never have. If somebody out there wants to clarify for me, 
Does the sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Does that mean that it's okay to use words, or does that mean through sarcasm that it's bad to use words? I, I just Googled it real quick. I don't know what it means. It, it, it's a, a rhyme that's used as a defense against name-calling that appeared in a uh, periodical <laughs> in 1844. Wow. When they say against name-calling, are they saying against so, the people opposed to yeah, it? Yeah, so like I, if I'm still I call, confused. I don't know. If I call you a bad name, then you can go, stick and stick. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hear. Uh, okay, so hurt this me. Is, it's a it's a defense mechanism you, you, when people are attacking. Okay, you with so words. this this is a comeback. This yeah, is this like is a, a comeback. scripted comeback. It's the same. Yeah, it's a scripted comeback. See, I, I never got that. Which again, I think been confused about this my entire <laughs> life. In, in education, um, they tell us or talk about like for teachers never. When there's a, 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 a dispute happening between students, never interact right off the bat. La- allow the students some time to learn those conflict resolution yeah. skills. And sometimes, depending on the age and, and, and uh, skill of the child or adults, uh, this may be the only thing they have in their arsenal. Okay. But at some time, I think it's just really insufficient. And that's why I'm selling it, because I, I think, again, not that we need to coddle people, again, either children or adults. Um, they need to learn how to do those conflict. Uh, resolve those conflicts on their own but I think this is just really inadequate where we I think we can look at bullies and whether again child or an adult yeah. that's bullying us and say listen that is hurtful what you just said it will not define me but you got to stop saying this yeah I, I like, so yeah it, um yeah people, and you know it's kind of a it's, it kind of seems like it gravitates towards a a middle school elementary school level and so when you I was really shocked when you googled that and or whatever you did and found out <laughs> that a, it was uh, from uh, a periodical from a periodical I would have thought it came it originated from a school bus somewhere oh I'm know? sure it did I'm sure this is just a yeah, and this is the first recording of it um, but I just think that's funny. I didn't yeah. realize that saying was that old. It's a hundred and fifty so years got, old. I'm bad at math. <laughs> do we have two two sales? Two sales. Okay. Yeah. But in, I didn't realize it was supposed to be a comeback. That that makes it make more sense. I thought it was like commentary. Like after the fact, somebody oh, came in yeah. and weighed down. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't get it. It wasn't after somebody had been throwing sticks and stones. They were throwing words. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. Or perhaps both. 53.3% um, of all statistics are made up on the spot. And this was a play on words because I just made that statistic exactly. up. Well, that's what the funny yeah. thing about that saying is people just throw in whichever percentage or, or mm-hmm. number they want. So I love it because it's self. Um, Speaks of our times. It, it's self, not self-referential. It's aware of itself. It's a little meta. So yeah. I, I enjoy it's that. It's self-explanatory. Yeah, yes. You've got to really dig to get good statistics anymore. And oh, statistics themselves. Yeah, I'm totally buying this because even if you actually have hard data, you can still manipulate data. Yeah. You can you can you can bend numbers. You can massage them to whatever end you want. So big that, buy, that big lasso buy. of truth on everything, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to statistics. Um, but would that actually hang on just a second? I know I'm like butting into our <laughs> other thing, but would the lasso of truth be one of the greatest like superhero tools to bring into the real world? Just or would it make you too much of an like idol to yourself? Would that be there too was much power? That you're breaking thought it was a great enough tool to, to put it as a su- for a superhero's use. I, yes, I think though the thing is like you're talking about maybe statistics or some more complex things. Um, if we were to try to use the lasso truth, I, I think some people would just implode because they don't they so don't know what truth is if i were to like lasso them with the the lasso of truth and be like tell me the truth of the coronavirus what's going on they'd be like <gasps> and like that would be it yeah exactly and it just like it would be an I, 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 just, exactly, I just don't know if it would actually help us Internal, I think, spontaneous you know combustion. that that is, that is the the 
the one side of Wonder Woman that didn't make the cut. Um, <laughs> the, comic. They, the, the truth is we can't show too much of the lasso of truth because it ends be more writing. people than it solves man. problems. Yes. People, they find out the truth and they and it, it's um, keep, keep referencing the screw tape yeah. letters. You know, they talk about the ghastly illuminescence because they're terrified of God. Nothing like, but a little dust. To, to see the light of God just yeah. like ends the demons. Um if, if people, mortals, were to actually look at truth and hear it spoken, um, which is one of the reasons why when you, we talk about time machine, a lot of people are actually pretty scared of going and seeing Jesus. Like the fear of God comes in and they're like, I, I would love to see the birth of Christ, but knowing what it is to see that truth. I mean, this is the same fear of God, like on the day of judgment to actually hear the word of God, the truth come at you like that. And you better hope you're covered by the blood of the lamb because that'll just end you. No, um, thanks. Yeah, I'm the, good. the truth is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, we can go on. Okay, I got uh, an, another one here. This one I heard in a, uh, I think I heard it in a co-op. Someone I did not know was in there, and they spoke this, and I was I was blown away with laughter uh, on the inside. <laughs> I had to get outside, but this is it. I. I'm so broke that I can't even pay attention. <laughs> and, and, you know, there was something about that that said, I don't know what's going on here. Somebody was asking if they could borrow a few dollars or something, and, and he said, I'm so broke I can't even pay attention. And when it, when I heard that, it, it just took like a, a few moments for it to sink in, and I just thought it was hilarious because he was trying to be funny. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, there, there's is that something that it's – is that a is yeah, that acceptable? That, um, I'll let Amanda go first. Um, <laughs> my seller hope. Um, I think I'm going to use my one hold on this because I think it is part of it. I find acceptable in the sense of the person was self aware enough, um, and we have to realize brokenness is more than just lack of money, but it can be emotional uh, and, and emotional and, and social situations as well. We can be kind of uh, broke from those things. Uh, we don't have the energy to put into them. There, there's no credit in our emotional bank. Uh, but also, I want to kind of also want to sell it because I feel like it could just be an excuse. So I'm going to just hold on this one. Um, it is a self-aware excuse, so I'm going to buy. And we got to get through these last ones really quickly because we're we're at our time. Okay. So, Dad. Okay. Where there is smoke, there is fire. I'll buy. I'll buy. Yeah. But you also got to yeah. Buy. <laughs> All right. We're going to move a little more fat, uh, fast. A little faster. You can lead a horse to water. But you cannot make him drink. Gosh, I feel that one a lot. Not that I have horses, but just with people. When you're like, "What? I just told you the correct answer," or, or like giving you the advice, and it just, it just, I don't know. It's frustrating. Also, I think hum- more humility on my part could help too. But yeah, I'll buy the saying. <laughs> okay, big buy. All right, one last one. Give give someone a fish, and feed them for a day. Give, teach one someone to fish, and you feed someone for a lifetime. I agree with the sentiment, but I also think, again, the pendulum gets to swing both ways too far. Sometimes we do need to just give people a fish. And not, I mean, not just that, but sometimes you have to give them the fish so you can then teach them how yeah. to fish. It's not, I don't know if it's really an either or. I think it needs to be a both and. And again, like you were talking about with the other saying about some situational awareness, knowing when we need to feed people immediately and when we need to teach them. And again, odds are we, 99% of the time, we need to do both. Yeah, you can't so, be too hungry to learn. Right. Yeah, to, yeah. Um, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I already used my hold. I'm going to buy this with a caveat. 
Uh, I'm going to buy it, big buy it. You know, theologically, God wants us to conform our world to his and to willingly do so. God, he comes to us. He does spend time where he's very close to us. But then he, he does withdraw a little bit so that we can grow. So I think there's definitely a theological truth to this. Um, and so there's that. Right. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Uh, wrapping up really quickly. I know we're right at time um, and maybe a little bit over. But any final thoughts? Some interesting things we've seen this week. Some final thoughts. Maybe they're unrelated to this. Just final thoughts as we wrap up the program. Yeah, no, no, nothing that has to do with anything we've said before. But just um, the last few days I've been outside more and because the weather's been nice. And I've seen we went to the Parthenon as a family and had our birthday picnic out there. And just to see families out and life still going on, it's just beautiful because, like, People exist. Society exists. Like there are things that in the midst of even all the craziness of the world that's happened, uh, there's still beauty and fellowship and human beings. So um, it's a good reminder. So I just, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Get that's outside. Good. It's good for your mental, physical, and like overall health. Get outside. Yep. I think most everybody's ready for a change. And just the change in the temperature, mm-hmm. the, the the way the seasonal change is, is so good. It's welcoming. It's refreshing. Uh, it's just good to, to breathe some fresh air. So I, I'm with you 100%. I want to echo that same s- sentiment. And I'm going to wrap up my final thought with a shout-out to the U.S. Marshal Service because every few days you hear a little information of some more children. They have rescued some bad guys. They have um, God. sorted out. They've been doing God's work adjudicating some things um, quickly and swiftly. So, um yeah, praise be to God that that the U.S. Marshal Service is out there doing some some good things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, shout out to them. <laughs> so that's where we'll wrap up our program. We thank you for spending time with us again. This is Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And God love you, and have a blessed day. <laughs>